Let me just uh, take just a moment and introduce you, you're a very important person. Before I do, though, let me just uh, let you know these beautiful flowers here are put here from Lauren and Ms. Juanita in memory of Joe Gibson. Uh, they just remind us again what a blessing uh, Brother Joe was to our church and, and this ministry and continues to be and through his family. appreciate them so much uh, for doing that and being part of that. I'm not sure where they are. There they are right there, okay? Thank you all so much for that. 1899. Now, the guy that's here this morning was not born in 1899. But in 1899, God began a new ministry called Gideon's in Wisconsin. I think that's right. And it's in Wisconsin. And uh, since then, they've been giving out Bibles. I would tell you, there, there are some great organizations in this world uh, and in our country but the Gideons is at the top of my list. And uh, uh, we have blessed, or blessed this morning to have uh, Brother F uh, Jim Finstrom. Uh, is it Jim? Jim, Jim. all right. Uh, my, you get old, you forget things. You need to write them down, but I was in such a hurry, I didn't write them down. But we're blessed this morning to have him. He's going to come and share with us, and then I'll preach after that. So don't you know, think, well, we're going to hear Gideon, so you won't hear no preaching. He'll preach within itself. I'll tell you, these testimonies will speak to your heart. And uh, I'm totally sold on Gideon's International. We'll be having men at the back doors and probably need to put a couple at the front door, maybe in the choir doors, because there'll be people trying to get out every door they can without an offering. But we'll be taking an offering up at the end of this service for the Gideon. Brother Jim, you come, make yourself at home. Thank you for being here this morning. Get this mic. I want to thank Brother Charles for that nice introduction and thank Woodland Hills Baptist Church for your support of the Gideons over the years. I got an opportunity to speak in this church years ago before this building was completed, and it's a wonderful occasion to be back and see what's happening here. God's Word is at work. And we do distribute God's word, so I like to begin with God speaking through Isaiah in Isaiah 55:11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And in the testimonies we have and see, that comes true. After Hurricane Katrina, a hundred Hispanic young Hispanic males were uh, taken up to Shepherd's Pasture Retreat just north of Jefferson because they're residences on the coast had been destroyed. Uh, I don't know where they had been in, in an institution of some kind down there because they came up together. Uh, Donnie Sterrett, one of our Gideons, was asked to come out and help with their needs and he said, I walked in and, and this room was just, it was just a mess. They were talking at the top of their voices and making jokes and cutting up in Spanish and I didn't understand that and they didn't understand English and they had the televisions on full blast and were talking louder than that. So I pulled one of the testaments out of my pocket that I have, my little personal brown testament that most Gideons carry, and began reading that. One of the men walked over to him and pointed down at it with a quizzical look on his face, and Donnie had a thought laid on his mind at that point and called me on the phone. He said, Jim, don't we have some Spanish-English testaments? They're a little bit larger than this with Spanish on one page and English on the other. I said, Donnie, how many do you need? And he said, I need 100. And I said, well, that's exactly how many I have is 100. Well, that wasn't coincidence. That was God at work. He distributed those to the men out there, and he said they opened them up, they sat down, they turned the televisions off, they quit talking and began reading. 
and stayed in that mode for the rest of the time there, several days. And I said, well, I'd like to know the rest of that story someday, and I've used this testimony before. A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking out at New Prospect Baptist Church just north of Jefferson. Pastor out there is Mark Markle. He'd been invited to come out and preach on a Sunday to the men at the home, out at the retreat out there with the, through an interpreter. And he said, I felt like I'd given the best sermon of my entire life because I sat down after that sermon, had an altar call, and he said, a great number of those men came forward and gave their lives to Jesus. I said, well, Mark, I know the rest of the story now. And Mark said, well, I do too. They'd been reading God's word all week and were prepared for my message. The Holy Spirit was at work. We see testimonies all over the world. 15 Gideons went to Mumbai, India to distribute Bibles to the students there, the Hindu students in the schools. They had gotten their permits and everything, and when they got there, they were invited to come in the classrooms. Well, they would begin with John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The students heard those words and took those Bibles and began reading them everywhere around the campus there. The Hindu activists got upset and trumped up charges against the Gideons and had them put in jail for distributing religious material without a permit. That wasn't true, but they were taken to jail. Now, jail there was not quite as bad as it is around here. They went back to their hotel at night because the jail didn't want to feed them, and they had to come back the next morning because their passports were there. Well, they did get to witness to the men in their cells, and in their cell, and two of those men, two of those Hindus, gave their lives to Jesus. Uh, after they left, or as they were leaving, the, the jailer there said, I, I would like you to come over and witness and visit with my family and tell them what you're about. Uh, reminds you a little bit of Paul and Silas in jail. So they went over, and that family took the testaments and accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The man who was driving the van, driving them around town, said, you guys have come to town, you've been put in jail, you've been prosecuted, you seem happier than anybody I ever saw, tell me about it. So they were able to witness to him, and he gave his life to Jesus. But the best part of the story, I'm an attorney. The, the man who was the head of the group of officers that arrested the Gideons ordered each man on his detail to read that book and study it carefully because it might be evidence if the case ever went to trial. So I had to appreciate that going on. Uh, Abu Bakr Dalla uh, was a, a Muslim student in Nigeria. His father was very strict, and he had instructed all of his family never to touch a Bible, never to read a Bible. It was the worst thing that could ever happen. Well, when Dalla was in fifth grade, he said, if it's so bad, I have to read it and find out why. And he said, as I read it, it changed my life. I took that little book home with me, and I hid it at home. Well, his father found it one day and was, took Abu Bakr out and had him strung up between two trees. And he was going to beat him until he repented of that and burned that Bible. And Abu Bakr said, I can't do that. It's the truth. Well, that only incensed his father. An uncle came to his rescue and said, Abu Bakr's never been in trouble any of his life. We ought to just banish him from home forever. That would be sufficient punishment. And that's what his father did. He went to school and told the teacher what had happened, and she found a place for him to live. There were some missionaries around, and she called them and told them the situation, and Abu Bakr witnessed to them from God's word. The missionaries said, you ought to become a pastor. We'll arrange for you to go to theology school when you get that far along in your education, and they did that. 
When he graduated from theology school there in Nigeria, he went to a neighboring country, Liberia, for his first crusade, and he was able to preach at that crusade. A hundred men, women, and children gave their lives to Christ based on his preaching that day and his testimony from the Bible. So we can see God's word at work everywhere it goes. Uh, my, my final example is kind of humorous a little bit. I was at church at First Baptist in Jefferson, and I answered the phone one day, and there was a man out at the budget inn calling me saying, can you bring me a bucket of ice? Well, I thought that was kind of a funny request to be calling the church about. I had to go see, so I got a bucket of ice and took out there. Well, he was a hobo riding a bicycle that had a little two-wheel trailer on the back of it with an ice chest in it, his lunch meat and bread in there to eat, make sandwiches as he traveled. And he was going from Georgia up to Des Moines, Iowa. The railroad had given the hobos a siding up there to enjoy a reunion of when they used to ride in the cars, the boxcars going down the rail. The hobos would be riding in those a lot of times. I can remember a little of that as a child. We lived on the railroad just outside of Chicago. So he, I told him I'd just gotten a new pickup truck. My wife told me I didn't need a truck. I was a lawyer, not a farmer. And I said, well, I've still got it. And uh, I told him if he needed anything to call me. Uh, he called that evening and he said, my bicycle's broken and there's a man over in Dangerfield that'll fix it for nothing. Can you pick it up and take me over there? So I said, sure. So driving down the road, I reached in my pocket for this little testament and I said, do you have one of these? He said, well, you didn't see my basket? Look in your mirror. So I looked in the rearview mirror, and the basket of his bicycle had two or three of these and four or five of these hotel and motel Bibles. I told him, I said, do you realize I'm the district attorney here? He said, oh, I didn't steal those. He said, he could witness to me. He said, but let me tell you, I ride my bicycle into town, and I have to park it somewhere. And with those Bibles in the basket, nobody will touch it. God's word protects that bicycle. So we can see it at work everywhere in the world. Please use the cards that are available here, the, the, the sympathy cards that are on the racks around the church. Uh, that ministry provides a, a good income to us for hotel and motel Bibles like these. They're $5 a piece. Uh, we have about 14 million Bibles ordered right now that we can't supply or get the freight paid to get them where they need to go. There, there's a tremendous hunger in the world for God's Word. Uh, we don't see that every day, but it's there. And your offerings today, 100% of those will go to paying the freight for those and printing those and getting them distributed where they need to be. If we go overseas to do that, we pay our way. I'm not bragging on the Gideons at all. It's just that we want 100% of church offerings to go to that venture and we give offerings ourselves to help in that, that endeavor that God is at work in, in the world today. I thank each of you this morning. We're going to take up an offering at the end of the service. Uh, I would ask that you contribute generously because the need is there, and we will be thankful for that, and that money will go to work just as quick as we can get it there. But you all have a blessed day. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brother Jim. I know we all want to participate in that, be a part of that. The Word of God never comes back void. And uh, no other book can say that. No other people can give that promise but the Word of God. Turn, if you would, in the copy of the Word of God to the book of Colossians. We're in the book of Colossians on Sunday morning, and we're down to verse 15. Colossians 
chapter 1, verse 15. As we think this morning about the preeminence of Christ, is Christ really preeminent in your life? A lot of times he could be present, but that doesn't mean he's preeminent. He could be in your life, but maybe he's not king of your life. He could be a resident, but maybe he's not the president. He could be an important place in your life, but he's not the first place in your life. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Father, thank you this morning how we've been blessed already through the music, through the testimonies of the Gideons. Lord, we pray now that you would continue to let your spirit deal with each one of us. Lord, we need you. Oh, how we need you today, Lord. Would you speak? And may we be willing to listen, not only with our ears, but with our hearts. And then with our actions and be obedient to what you've asked us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's important that Jesus has first place in your life. Now, you've heard me tell this illustration before, uh, but I'll just repeat it again. Uh, it's it's kind of a touchy thing when you say, I'm going to make Jesus number one, my family number two, my church number three, my job number four. That gets to be a touchy thing. If I went home today and told my wife, honey, I want you to know you're the number one woman in my life. Now, some of you ladies may be happy with that. I know my wife. I know what her first question would be. Who's the number two woman in your life? <laughs> who, who are you seeing as number two woman? I'm telling you this morning, God has to be preeminent, and we can call that first place, but be very careful about saying God's first, family's second, whatever's third, or et cetera, down the road. The bottom line is, Matthew says, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So not only is he must be preeminent, he must be first place, he's to be preeminent, he's to be everything in your life. Completely every You build your life around Jesus, and he'll take care of all of the different things that will add into your life. Now, there's some reasons why we need to make him preeminent in our life uh, this morning. First of all, he's preeminent because he created everything. The Bible says uh, that he literally, in verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. He's not just a man. He is the image of the invisible God. Literally, uh, God is a spirit. No man has seen God, but he is a representative. He came to represent God. He's the revealer of God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, Godhead is in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the false teachers had come into Colossae here, and they'd said, well, you know, it's all right, but Jesus is really not the God. He's less than God. Uh, he's just a man. 
I mean, we'll forget years ago, Becky and I had just moved into the first parsonage up in Texarkana uh, that we had ever lived in. And one Saturday morning, there was a knock on the door, and a couple of guys with some white shirts and had some little satchels with them there. And they came to tell me about the, about the Lord. And I invited them in, just as a young person, nice. And they came in, and they sat down. They ate my lunch. I'm talking, they ate my lunch. They, they knew their stuff. Now, I'm just young, just getting into the ministry, and, and, man, I just sat there. I didn't know what to say. I didn't have the right words. They just talked, 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 talked. And, they, you know, I'm thinking, mm. So finally they got through, and I thought, bless God, when I slammed that door. I thought, the next time you come, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready. And I studied, and I got ready, and I waited probably three months. So I heard a car door out there one Saturday morning. They'd sent ladies this time. And uh, I thought, bless God, I'm ready for you. I mean, I've, I've timed it. Just as when they come up to ring the doorbell, I swung open the door. said, come on in. I've been waiting on y'all. Come on in and sit down right here. And I began to go through my doctrine. I began to go through everything with them. I mean, I had it lined. I even had a little old flag over there on the table that said, we're going to pledge allegiance to the flag this morning. Because they wouldn't do that. I said, we're going and, and they got through. We got through with everything. I said, now, do you have anything to say? And she said, I, I just wanted to know if your wife needed some Avon. That's all I need. <laughs> Bless God. <laughs> well, the false teachers had come in. You'll get that in a little bit there, brother. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. The invisible God made himself visible in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're privileged to get to know what God really looks like. We've got a picture of him throughout the Bible, throughout the Word of God. I think about that baby face that we've seen, him looking up into the face of Mary and uh, as, a, as a little baby there. And uh, it, we see in that the, not only just the fact of a baby looking up in the face of Mary, but we're also reminded of the condescension of God. God left heaven and all of its glory to come and be born in a manger. God became man like you and I so that he could deliver us from heaven to earth. And then there's that childlike faith. Remember he was in the temple? The Bible says the theologians were amazed at his teaching. And he's sitting there and he's teaching the word of God. And then his parents had been looking for him. And they come up and they say, Jesus, it's time to go. What does he do? He submits to his earthly father and mother. And he gets up and he leaves. And then there's a ministering face. He spent three years healing the sick, caring for the dying, feeding the hungry, reaching out to the outcast. When you saw Jesus, he was always surrounded by the blind or by the lame or by the demon-possessed or the outcast. And it reminds us, even as his ministry with people, healing people, is that our Lord loves people. And then, of course, you have to look at the scarred face of Jesus, the cross of Calvary, the crown of thorns, the spear in his side, the blood running down the side of his face, bruised because of his beatings there. And it reminds us this morning of how much God loves sinners. Aren't you thankful this morning that he didn't cast sinners out, but he loved us and gave us an opportunity to be saved? But, oh, listen to me now. If you want to know the real face, 
If you want to get excited about it, it's not really the baby face. It's not really the childlike face. It's not really the ministering face. It's not really the scarred face. But I'm going to tell you, listen to me. One of these days, he's coming back and he's going to have a glorified face. It's going to be glorified. After three days, he came out of the grave. And that's the majestic, supernatural face of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just a religious leader. He's not just a a, a God. Literally, he is in human body. The Bible says in verse 15, he's the firstborn of every creature. Now, cults will try to take this. And they'll say, well, that means that he was created. That means God had to create him. No, you can't use that verse like that. There are three ways that this phrase, firstborn, is used in the Word of God. The first way, it's used in the literal sense. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, literally the Bible says, Mary brought forth her firstborn son wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's literally there. She has a little baby. It's her firstborn baby. She brings him forth. That's the literal sense. But it also is used in a figurative sense. In Exodus chapter 4, 22, the Bible says, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Now we know this morning that Israel was not a, a son. Israel was a nation. How could Israel be the firstborn? What God is doing, he's speaking in a figurative way. And he's saying that the nation Israel holds a very special place, a distinct place of all nations. The nation Israel is that firstborn uh, uh, figurative sense. And then it's also used in a position of prominence or superiority. In Psalm 89, verse 27, the Bible says, I'll make him, and it's referring to King David, my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Uh, We know that's not God's firstborn. In fact, it was Jesse's lastborn. You remember when the prophet came and was wanting to anoint the king? He went through, he thought he was going to be the first king, first son, that's him, that's him. God said, nope, that's not him. Second one, that's him. Nope, that's not him. He got down to all of the last ones and he said, isn't there anybody else? I mean, I don't think God made a mistake. He told me to come here and anoint one of your sons as king. And is there anybody else? Said, yeah, there's one. <laughs> David, he's a little runt out there. He's feeding the sheep out there. Well, bring him in. God said, this is him, the lastborn. And yet the scripture says, I'm going to make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. I'm going to put him in a priority position. I'm going to put him in a, in a, 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 a prominent position there. And that's the way this word is used in Colossians. What he's saying here is Jesus is in a prominent position. He's in a position of superiority. He's in a position of preeminence. He's the same stuff the Father's made out of. He created all things. It was created through Him. It was created for Him. And God made us so that we might, in turn, belong to Him and have communion with Him. God didn't make you just to sit around here and do what you wanted to do. God made you in a special purpose. I was sitting there talking this morning over at Arabella with with some of those ladies there, and they were talking about Aunt Esther May, and just so sad that it was so quick, and you know, and all of this. And I, I got, you know, there's there's one lady over there, Miss Fran. We love her to death. She's turned over a hundred. It was, I mean, she's still just spry, knows everything, you know. But I want to tell you, I, I don't think I'm gonna make seventy. Now, why don't God let me be like spry as Fran is at a hundred? Because that's not His plan for my life. Yeah, God knows I'd kill somebody if I lived here to be 100. 
I'll just tell you right now, I think that's going to be the, well, I better hush. But anyway, I'll just tell you, God's got a plan for you. You're, you're, you're not subpar to anybody else. God's got a special plan for you. He created all things. And I looked up that word all. It means the same thing in the Greek and the Hebrew and the Hawaiian. And the, it doesn't make any difference what language you're in. All means all. He created all things. He said in heaven above, angels, galaxies, dominions, principalities, powers. You say, well, preacher, are you telling me that God made the evil in the world? I know I'm telling you this, that before those demons became evil, they were angels. Hmm. I'm telling you, God made everything, everything, visible, invisible, heaven, earth, nowhere, anything that Jesus did not make. Now, I want to be honest with you. This is one of those things that we call believing by faith. Because you're not going to be able to prove this. You'll, you'll talk yourself blue in the face. Somebody don't want to believe this. You know why I believe this? Because I met the Jesus who made all this stuff. There was a day when he reached down and touched me. And drew me to him. There was a day when he forgave my sins and delivered me from all of my iniquities. A day when he drew me to the cross and broke my will and I cried out for mercy. No, nobody had to tell me the Bible was infallible. I knew it was infallible because I met the one who wrote the thing. Well, there's only one way you can do that, by the way, and that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, some of you are, are well-intentioned, and God bless you. You know, I, I know a lot of people. I've been well-intentioned for 35 years. Every January the 1st, I say, I'm going on a diet. <laughs> and along about January the 4th, somebody say, let's go eat some pizza. And I say, all right, I'm in. <laughs> huh? Hey, you be as well-intentioned as you want to. That's not going to change your heart and your attitude. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. Nothing else. So he made everything. He ought to be preeminent. I mean, the bottom line, I know... Union workers may not want to hear this, but I'll just be honest with you. If you created something, you ought to have control over it. I better not stay there very long. I better move on. Let me tell you, not only did he create it, but the Bible says he sustains it. He sustains it. He makes it all work. Everything in place. I don't, I, you know, I got to thinking this morning, I don't, know that I even know a scientist. I don't even know that I've ever shaken hands with a scientist. But they tell me that if the earth was off just a smidgen, now if you're down in the south, you know a smidgen's just a little bit. If the earth was off just a smidgen, we'd freeze to death. If the earth was off just a smidgen this way, we'd burn up. We'd be too close to the sun. We'd burn up. So how in the world does the earth stay where it's supposed to stay? You say, well, preacher, that's real easy. There's magnetic fields. I got a better answer than that. Jesus is holding it together. I'm telling you, that's what happens here. He's hold What's holding your feet on the floor this morning? It's not the 300 pounds you weigh. 
<laughs> Let me tell you, it's gravity. No, it's not gravity. It's Jesus. You need to understand something. Jesus not only created everything, he holds it together. He holds it in place. It, and I love this. The Bible doesn't say that he was in verse 17. The Bible says he is before all things. Not, not he was, but he is before all things. The, the seasons and the tide that comes in and out and the birds knowing when to migrate and the water to drink, the food to eat. It's the Lord Jesus who sustains it. And listen to me. Listen, just, just hear me out. If he can sustain this world, don't you think he can sustain your life? He can sustain your family. He can sustain you physically. He can sustain you emotionally. He can sustain you spiritually. All I know is this, the Jesus who created everything and who sustains everything does not need to be second place or third place or last place in my life. He needs to be preeminent. Mm, only one place for him. You ever watch those sci-fi movies? Things fly, I can't watch them very much. They scare the daylights out of me. The whole world flying apart and Man, things just flying around everywhere. and <laughs> I mean, wiping out the power grids and everything. It gets too close to home. Let, let me just ask you this. What, what, what makes a guy go into a high school and lean under a desk like he did in Colorado and ask a young lady, if you believe in Jesus, I'm going to kill you. She said, you do whatever you need to do. I believe Jesus. I'm not ashamed. And he kills her literally right there on the spot. Well, this world's evil. Have you ever thought about what it really like? You know, I don't care whether you like the president or what. But, I mean, have you thought about what it's really like to sit across the room from somebody like that leader in North Korea that doesn't even care if his own people are starving to death? They have no regard for life whatsoever. And we're supposed to be trying to get along. With, I, what has kept the idiot from bombing us already? I testify this morning, it's the hand of Jesus that's kept him from doing it. He's the one that's kept him from doing it. That's the only thing that will keep him from doing it. I mean, d d don't, don't tell me it's the United Nations. Come on now, you've got to be kidding me. Don't tell me it's, John, uh, it's the Congress. You've got to be kidding. Our government? <laughs> no, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust the one who said, Grand Canyon, you get over here. Smoky Mountains, you get over here. And India, you're down here. I'm going to trust the one that put all of this stuff into place and that sustains it into place. That's who I'm going to trust. He ought to be preeminent. I want to tell you, one of these days, his feet are going to land back here on this earth. And he's not coming back for the Republicans. I'm sorry. He's not coming back for the Democrats or the Libertarians. He's not coming back to take sides. He's coming back to take over. And according to the Word of God, for one time in our life, he's going to run things the way they ought to be run. Well, he created everything. He sustains everything. 
I meant to mention Tea Party in there too. Some of you Tea Partiers, you, you need to know that he's not coming back for you either, all right? All right, let's move on. Sustains everything, creates everything. Let me tell you this. He rules everything. You say, well, no, he rules everything. That's what the Word of God says. He's already in charge. The Bible says, verse 17, he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body of the church. The beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He rules everything. The universe, hey, he rules it. Let me tell you, I hate to tell you this, but the Russians didn't elect Donald Trump. God did. He's still in control. He elected Obama. I'm telling you, God's in control of this. You say, well, I don't like the way God's doing it. Well, you take it up with him next time he's going to create a universe. You get on in there on the ground floor and tell him you know better than he does. I love what A.W. Tozer, I love to read him. The Bible says he's over the church. This just not but three or four sentences, but listen to see if you can try to get the hold of this. A.W. Tozer said, the present position of Christ in the gospel churches may be likened to that of a king in a limited constitutional monarchy. You remember the king and queen over in England? They're like that. Jesus is like that. The king is in such a country is no more than a traditional rallying point, a pleasant symbol of unity and loyalty, much like a flag or a national anthem. The king is lauded, he's feted, he's supported, but his real authority is small. Nominally, he's head overall, but in every crisis, somebody else makes the decisions. On formal occasions, he appears in his royal attire to deliver the tame, colorless speech put in his mouth by the real rulers of the country. The whole thing may be no more than good-natured make-believe, but it's rooted in antiquity, and it's a lot of fun, and no one wants to give it up. Boy, I want to tell you, let's don't limit Jesus to that kind of king. Let's don't do that. Every member in this church has a gift, and it takes all of us to function properly. There's no one insignificant. He is the head of the body, not human tradition, not some religious establishment. It's Jesus Christ. And while he walked on earth, he expressed that in a physical body. And then he went back into heaven, and he said, it's good that I go back to heaven because one is going to come called the Holy Spirit. He's going to fill you. He's going to indwell you. And listen, according to the Word of God, we're all baptized into one body. That's what the Scripture says. I'm sorry, you Baptists. I'm just telling you. We're all in one body if you're a family of God. That's what the Word says. And I want to tell you, now listen to me. I'm not going to function like I should unless the head of the body is controlling me. If the head is not controlling me, then I'm, not going, to, I'm going to be out of whack. Our preferences and our opinions are not over the body. The church is not a mechanical, if I hear one more say, well, we got to run this church like a business, I'm going to spit. <laughs> this church is not a business. It's a living organism of believers in Jesus Christ. <laughs> the crucifixion of Jesus put away our sins. Praise God for that. 
But the resurrection of Jesus provides new life. Now you, I want to tell you, I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but I've been in some churches. Dr. Criswell used to say it like this. It's kind of like trying to plow water. I mean, it's just dead. The music was dead. The ushers were dead. The sound people was dead. Only thing alive on that thing is a moss growing up the side of the church building. That's not a picture of the true church. The church is alive today. The resurrection is why we celebrate the risen resurrection. That's the expression of the body of Christ. He's alive. He's in this building. He's reaching out to you. What about your life? What about your life? What place does Jesus occupy in your life? I would tell you this as a pastor. Some of you think when you become a preacher or or something, you know, you just automatically, you're going to follow God. It's a constant fight and battle. I find out that when I'm down, and there are many days when I'm down, when I'm defeated, when I lack direction, I find out that those are the days that I'm trying to do what I want to do, and I'm not submitted to His perfect will. When you're walking in the will of God, you're not going to be down all the time. There'll be problems. I'm not telling you there's not going to be problems. But I'm telling you, in the midst of the problems, there's still, man, good grief, God's still on his throne. There's no reason to be down and depressed. My soul, there's some of you I want to write a letter to and just say, look, man, I don't, I, hmm. If you, if, <laughs> I better hush, I'm going to get in trouble. I, I just, if God's not everything in your life, your life's going to be out of whack. It's going to be out of whack. Now let me just give you three things, and I'm through here. Just one, two, three, that are going to be evident if Jesus is preeminent in your life. The first thing's going to be evident, there's going to be a supreme love for Jesus. Supreme love for Jesus. Well, we just heard an example of it. No one would want to point it out. He certainly wouldn't want to point it out. But see, we have this idea that because I came to church on Sunday morning, that means I love Jesus. Good grief. The dogs and cats do that. They line up here. That don't mean nothing. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I was sitting right there when Brother Jim said a while ago, you know, that hobo wanted him to take him to Dangerfield. I thought, Lord, the guy's got to love Jesus. Who would get up and carry a hobo over to Dangerfield to fix a bicycle? Huh? I'm just telling you, if we're going to love Jesus, there ought to be a supreme love for him. What, what, that's what Jesus would do. I mean, that's what he'd do. Uh, maybe not carry it to Dangerfield. He may fix the thing himself. I don't know. He had a way of doing that. But if Jesus is preeminent in your life, there's going to be a supreme love for Jesus. You're going to love him. You're going to love him. Oh, there's no words. You're going to love him beyond all imagination. But not only that, there's going to be an unquestioning obedience to his call. You see, I'm sitting here talking to some folk this morning that you know good and well what the Lord's already called you to do but you're wanting to hold out. Sometimes we're wanting to hold out for a better deal. 
I'm telling you, when you love Jesus and he's preeminent, when he tells you to do something, you're willing to do it right then. The third factor that will be evident when you love Jesus and he's preeminent is there's going to be an absolute submission to his will. Whatever he says, it doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what I want at all. It matters what he wants. It matters what he wants. I was reading the letter to the editor this morning. I have no idea what, what it even is. But somewhere they're having a battle of the bands around here. Does anybody know what that is? And this, lady, this, this person in there said, what, what, what are Christian bands battling for? We're serving the same God. What are we battling the bands to see who can play the loudest or who can make somebody's ears hurt the worst? I mean, honestly, listen to me. And I know you know this. I know our music people know this. But the real audience in all this praise and worship is not you. It's God. If you were singing this morning and it didn't satisfy him, you missed the whole boat. You say, well, my neighbor asked me to be quiet if I could because I didn't sing very well. Well, you're not going to stand before your neighbor on judgment day. It's going to be God. If God said sing, let it rip. And if they don't like you, they can move around to a different pew. Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, used to say that the three most important things in his life were God, family, and McDonald's. That's not bad. But he went on to say this. When I get to the office, the order is reversed. It's McDonald's family, and God. That's not right, folks. Let me tell you, he's preeminent. Whether we're at work, whether we're at play, whether we're in a ball game, whether I don't care where we are, even in Walmart, the war zone of Walmart, <laughs> you still are to have Jesus as the preeminent of your life. We must never reverse that order. Let me ask you something. This between you and God, Where, what order is he in your life? Where's he at? Is he preeminent? If he is, well, praise the Lord. But if he's not, let me tell you, quit lying about it. We, we, Mandy and I were talking before church, and she said the devil had a hold of her tongue. And she said, I know why God's doing it. He's punishing me because I laughed at people for this years ago. You ever get like that? I mean, I know that. I said, but you know the bad thing is? God knows your heart before you even laugh. And so I guess you just well go ahead and laugh because, I mean, he already knows your heart. Amen? He knows every one of us where we're at this morning. He knows what we need to be doing. He knows the decisions we need to make. And if God's speaking to your heart this morning to be saved, I'm asking you, step out, come. And ask Jesus to take over your life. If you need a church home, you come. This church will receive you and welcome you. And it will be a blessing to you. And you can be a blessing to the kingdom of God. Whatever God's asking you to do, I'm asking you to do it. Pray with me. Father, thank you again this day. How we've been blessed. And how your spirit has moved in this place. And Lord, we're asking you to do some great things right now in this invitation. Not for us, but for the glory of God. Lord, continue to build people and bring people into this church that will roll up their sleeves 
and go to work for the glory of God. To see people saved, to see families put back together, to see young people changed and delivered from the vices of this life. God, let your spirit have ruling control of everything in this auditorium today. May you be honored and glorified in the decisions that are made right now. In Jesus' holy, blessed name, amen. Would you stand together?